Welcome to Music Ed Talk. Today I'm joined by Mr. Timothy Gillum. Mr. Gillum is beginning his fourth season as artistic director of New Wave Singers of Baltimore, Maryland's oldest continually performing LGBTQ plus ensemble. He received degrees in music education and speech pathology slash audiology from the University of Central Arkansas and attended Old Dominion University and Virginia Polytech University for postgraduate studies in conducting. He taught chorus and band in public and private schools in Arkansas, Texas, and Virginia. His ensembles consistently received superior ratings at regional, state, and national festivals. Today, we'll be discussing topics relating to vocal health and the importance of LGBTQ plus core ensembles. But to begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Great to be with you. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I am, um, uh, as you mentioned, my fourth year of uh, directing the New Wave Singers. They, depending or not whether you count the year and a half off for COVID there, uh, we're in our 36th year, 36th, 37th year, and preparing to start in what is still a COVID-rich society. So we're trying to prepare and, and uh, have a season going on. For myself, I was raised in a semi-musical family. My father, uh, my father's family was very musical going back about five generations. My great, great, my great, great, great grandmother was a Cherokee Indian uh, and was a music teacher on reservation. Uh, and she married my grandfather who came over from Ireland. So a little bit of diversity in the family. My, my mother's family didn't have the background, but but uh, were always very supportive. I, I was very lucky. Music was very accepted and loved uh, when I was growing up in my high school, my church, and it was and all the cool kids were in it. So it was a, it was a good thing for you know those of us who might have been music nerds and and took piano lessons every Saturday. But it was it was still cool. We had a huge, wonderful program from from uh, junior high through high school. Uh, I received a scholarship in the music program growing up in the Little Rock, uh, Arkansas area. I stayed in Arkansas uh, to work on my undergrad. I then started teaching in the Memphis, Tennessee area, uh, and I was there for five years uh, and also taught in uh, the outside of Austin, Texas, uh, in Fredericksburg, Texas, a wonderful little German town there. Uh, and uh, then I moved to the East Coast and uh, taught for a few years uh, in the Tidewater area and also Richmond. Then got out of teaching music. Uh, I was uh, I founded the Richmond Men's Chorus and Women's Chorus uh, choruses, uh, and I was in the Richmond area uh, until 2014, and then we moved to Baltimore. Uh, I got in, and then I got involved. We thought we would take my my husband. And I thought we would take a break from being so involved in directing. Uh, oh, while I was in Richmond, we we also uh, helped found the uh, Richmond Triangle Players, which is uh, one of the uh, outstanding LGBTQ theater companies in the United States, and they've just started their season this week. Uh, so we're really excited and wish we could, we're, we're preparing to go on vacation right now. Wish we could go down and see the opening show, but 
hopefully uh, it'll still be playing and we'll get a chance when we come back. Um, so um, moved to Baltimore area, got involved with chorus and then uh, heard about the audition with New Wave Singers. A friend encouraged me to audition and, and I've been with them for since uh, 2018. I don't know whether to call it three or four years because of COVID since we took that bit of time off. I, I, I think COVID has just messed with everyone's timeline. Like I, I didn't have a birthday last year for those of those people who didn't want to have another birthday, but uh, I started on piano and was a singer. Then I didn't get into a band until my senior, my junior year. I was, uh, in the jazz band and played piano for it and really liked uh, the band director. And so I got into band uh, my senior year and I was in percussion and uh, stayed with it through college uh, and s still still get into it when I get a chance. I, I played the timpani and the marimba, so those aren't usually sitting around in everyone's living rooms to play, but I'm Piano was always my first instrument, and I, I play okay. Um, you know, enough. Uh, uh, my my supervising teacher said, "You're not a fantastic pianist, which is good, so your kids will learn to read music because they'll have to." Uh, which was a joke, and she was she was great. But yeah, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I I will never threaten anyone's piano career. <laughs> so, how did vocal health become? an area of importance for you and in your instruction? As you mentioned, my first degree uh, was in speech pathology, and I, I went to grad school for speech pathology and audiology for a semester. And I, uh, as interesting as it was, I realized how much I missed music. I, I was also a music minor. So I went back to complete my um, music degree. Uh, but but I always took the the seriousness of vocal health from my speech pathology days. I had worked with a number of people unknowingly abused their voice and had pro or had problems with their vocal folds training that had in in voice and and so that always stuck with me and I and you know in in the Hippocratic oath the first thing that that uh, care providers say is do no harm. So as a choral director, we, we certainly don't want to ask our singers to do anything that would hurt them. And so in my adult choir days, I like to, I like to, we don't call it an audition. We call it a vocal visit. I like to not audition, but vocal visit with all my singers every year because things can happen or, uh, you know, hopefully they're getting better as singers and readers. And it's nice to check that out, point out that, oh, you've, your range has increased and you're a better reader and your tone is lovely. But a, a couple times in my career, I've, I've found like, oh, th this sounds different than you normally do. How do you feel? And we can have a conversation uh, about that. And, and there were two times that I suggested that my singers uh, see, see a professional, see their physician uh, or their caregiver. And yeah, outside of chorus, they may have been shouting, you know, they have kids and, uh, or, or they work in a job that they have to raise their voice and speak loudly a lot, uh, which can damage their health. And, you know, as, as a very small part of their lives, you know, it, it hurts their singing voice too, but that can come through 
in their singing, like, oh, you've got a raspier sound or your range is really different than, or your quality is really different than it was. So, you know, not to scare you, but you know, just check that out because I want you to be your best. Just going along with vocal health, there, as, as we said, we, as a singer, we use our whole body. So a lot can be reflected um, through our voice uh, and through our singing voice. And so it's nice to have, have that ongoing relationship from year to year and, and a record of you sang like this before and, and now you're like this and hopefully it's improving. Uh, but, you know, as we age and, and things happen to us, it's also a sign of, uh, of, of some potential issues. So um, it's, it's just good to know those things about our bodies and, and keeping in touch with that. In regards to vocal health, where do you think instructors and music educators should begin with their students? For any age, I think getting a good base or a, a uh, finding out where someone is at the time. I mean, there, there are standards of, uh, you know, even, you know, younger kids in junior high or high school where, where they start and then see how they're progressing. I, I, I like, like anything in education, uh, monitoring as much as you can one's progress one's journey through whichever subject it may be is always important. Um, you know, it's, it's a reason that we test, uh, being a former educator, I said, we, I'm uh, not anymore, but, uh, but it's a reason that we test. And even as a, as a conductor now, uh, we, you know, we, we do test our singers. I, I haven't been doing that with my current chorus. Uh, and I used to with the Richmond, choruses and, and hear them every year. Uh, and it's something that after telling them it's a vocal visit and not a re-audition, they, they, were, they were a little more receptive to it. So after COVID, we, we will probably uh, take that and, and treat it like a little mini lesson. But going back to your question, um, I, I think it's important to, to establish where someone was and then see their growth. Um, throughout the years. Uh, it, it's, you know, going back hundreds of years to when I started in education, you know, you, you just look at where someone was. Uh, and, and musically, we always say, we take you from where you are and hopefully can lead you on a nice journey. Just continuously monitoring, helping people, uh, answering questions, uh, and also, you know, being a good listener to try and so, you know, like someone's physician, you want them to be able to open up and say, I'm having an issue with this and, and giving them time, um, which for a lot of us in, in big, you know, my chorus is 70 members and for all of them to come up after a rehearsal and say, I'm having this problem. And, but, you know, we do try and have an email uh, conversation as, as they need. And, and I, I get them once in a while of I'm having trouble hitting this note and I didn't have that trouble last year. Um, you know, sometimes we can pass that off as saying, well, you know, we're aging and the aging voice, you know, singing is probably the best, one of the best singing correctly is one of the best things you can do for your voice uh, and, and keep it, 
keep it going and and everything well lubricated and 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 taken care of. But uh, again, just just monitoring your progress, I think, is is one of the best number one things for me in having that open communication uh, with your singers. Based on your experience, what are common physical and auditory signs of improper use and unhealthy vocal production of the voice? Anything that changes and feels negative. Let's say that you were able to hit this high note in your favorite song and you're in the same key and, and lately you haven't been able to do that or you hear a raspiness going in or you feel like maybe, you know, a number of things like you have cold or allergies when it's not cold or allergy season and your voice is doing raspy things or, or something is not the norm. Again, going back to remembering what your voice sounded like, you know, a few months ago, a few years ago, uh, as we mentioned, aging is something that really affects the voice. Uh, so just hearing things that are different than you're used to feeling like, uh, for instance, you used to be able to sing your entire two hour rehearsal uh, or your one hour rehearsal in, in classroom. And then you're feeling pain or or it's or you're getting a sore throat after you sing for so long for instance i i i had auditions for my chorus here in baltimore last night and uh i had a, a number of women that said oh i'm an alto that were actually sopranos they had wonderful high ranges and i told them you probably had a choir director that found out that you read music well and they put you as an alto instead of a soprano. And you're, you're absolutely right. I came from band, I had piano lessons and I could read music and harmonize. And while that might be a nice solution for that choir director to get some altos or even make them tenors, yikes, putting someone in a wrong vocal part and making them push their voice into place that they're physically really not able to do can really hurt the voice. And so like, Oh, I, uh, for instance, uh, like a female who uh, female voice that reads really well. And the director says, Oh, I really need some tenors and, and very good nature. That's the, the singer says, sure. And then they're singing down in this mid range that they really don't have. And they're pushing can, can do real harm to them. And, uh, real and possible permanent harm. So uh, anything that feels out of the ordinary, uh, don't think, oh, it's just an allergy or I, I'll i get over this. If, if it continues, it's something you should really have checked out by your healthcare provider. What are some insights and advice you would give to directors working with an ensemble that may consist of members who have aging voices? Excellent, excellent question. We're all aging and <laughs> hopefully continue to age. Um, and I've noticed this, um, if I can use myself as, as an example, I was a counter tenor. I, I went from, not to slam my high school director who was wonderful, but I was an all-state bass in high school. Uh, I went to audition for 
my university chorus and he went, why were you singing bass? You are a countertenor. And I thought, oh, well, he just needed some people that read really well and I could sing down there. And he said, you should use your upper range. And so I sang tenor the rest of my life. As a choral director, I haven't sung as much. Sometimes my singing for the week consists of tenors. That that passage is la, la, la. And and that's all I will sing for a week because I don't I don't do music for my day job. Um, so I've noticed that uh, my range has descended. I used to be a very very high tenor. Now I'm a low tenor, maybe a higher baritone than you know than I was um, since since starting conducting twenty. 30, oh gosh, more years than I care to say. And, and I haven't been, and I haven't been singing. I, I, I used to be in our, our church chorus um, uh, when I was in Richmond, but I haven't, I haven't been uh, using that skills as much. So, you know, it's really a use it or lose it. Singers who, uh, uh, older singers, uh, if they've been singing and, you know, taking care of their voice, you know, which I said, hydrating also and not smoking and making, you know, and diet, you know, taking care of yourself in general. For, for older voices, I, I've seen, I've seen some sopranos. Uh, unfortunately, women are more affected by the aging voice than the men are. Uh, but I've seen some sopranos going into their 70s and 80s that still sound fantastic because they continue to use their voice and use it correctly and, and in a healthy manner. For a lot of the male voices, we just, uh, you know, as we get older, the vocal folds thicken. We, we've used them. There may be some little issues with them and, and lack of breathing technique and, and technique in general. But just uh, just to use the, the good uh, technique for, for all singers with, with uh, aging singers, uh, knowing, unlike a fine violin that just improves with age, you know, we're human beings and uh, especially with the female voice, but also with the male voice that um, the range can change, usually goes lower. And there may be some vocal quality issues, some raspiness or airiness and more difficulty in breathing. Um I've been a lifelong asthma, uh, a person with asthma, and and so I've I've been very aware of this and talk with my healthcare provider frequently, making sure that I'm on, on uh, my correct medication uh, that that helps me be the best that I can. But just again, monitoring the voice, and I think that's something that's important. Um, uh, just to help the singer. And sometimes, yeah, the, I think it's a little harder psychologically on some female singers when they have to go from high soprano down to second soprano or God forbid, even into alto section, which, uh, you know, we have an idea of, you know, that that's as singers, that's, that's part of our identity that I'm a soprano or I'm a high tenor 
and life goes on and, and our voices age and they change. So uh, in, in addition to worrying about the phys- physical nature of the voice, there might be a little bit of psychology that you have to share with the singer. Like, you, ha- you know, you're the same person that you are, but your, your voice is just becoming richer and and you know you might have lost a couple of notes up top, but it, your your quality is richer and and this and and uh, you know but fortunately life goes on and and maybe it's it's a new and different page for the singer to uh, to enjoy and appreciate. <laughs> what do you think is the importance of LGBTQT plus choral ensembles? I hear this from almost every, I hear it from every LGBTQ plus chorus and organization, and and especially from groups that are not a part of the LGBTQ organizations or movement. Like, oh, you just got gay marriage, which is marriage. (laughs) Um, Or you just got these rights, or you just got this is, you know, it is singing in a gay chorus passe to that i would answer every time there's a step forward it seems something happens that there's two steps back or three or four or five steps back there's you know from the previous administration it was it was so tough for any lgbtq organization to live through that is it is it still important? Is it there? Yes, we we need to not only sing for ourselves. There's a song called "We're Singing for Our Lives," and I think, uh, and it was written I think in the late '70s or early '80s by Holly Near. I think it's still true today. There there are people that are getting killed. There are. Uh, rights that you know around the world. Um, there, there are so many countries that it is against the law and punishable by death. So, uh, and and the, um, being a former classroom teacher in three states where it was illegal to be gay, I was totally closeted. I couldn't be myself, and I saw probably you know. Uh, and I couldn't have the conversation, but I saw um, students that I thought if I were out and open, they might have someone that they could come and talk to. So I'm proud to be a director of an LGBTQ plus chorus because there are people that need to still need to hear this message every day. There are uh, youth and adults that need to know that it is okay to be their authentic selves and their best selves. Um, it, it's, it's okay to be who they are. And, and, it, and, and um, we have, as I said, we're LGBTQ plus, we have probably a quarter of our membership identifies as straight. Um I, I never ask. I, I don't care. You know, we we rejoice in everybody, and we sing, uh, we sing a message of uh, of love and acceptance just all around. And and it's interesting when I hear 
someone expressed that, oh, I, my wife said this. And I thought, oh, I didn't know that you were gay, straight, fill in the blank. Um, <clears throat> but everyone in our group understands, yeah, the message still needs to get out there. We, we still need to show that everybody has a worth no matter who you are, no matter how you identify. And every course still realizes every time we see a negative headline uh, in, in the paper, I'll see on Facebook or Twitter or something is like, this is why we're still singing. This is why we're still an organization. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. Thank you. Great to be here. Music. 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 Music.